0: In Galatians, the Apostle Paul writes to clarify the gospel, to defend his own presentation of the gospel before some people that were coming through to distort the gospel. And he begins the letter very simply as a, almost a common letter beginning. Paul, an apostle, verse 1, sent from men not through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ. And God the Father... And once he says Jesus Christ, he says, God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you, common greeting, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he says the Lord Jesus Christ with the concept of his letter being poured out from heaven into him, you know, this letter is written by God, not by Paul. It's penned by Paul, but it's the words of God pushed through Paul's pen onto the paper for all eternity for us to look at. And when when Paul gets to the Lord Jesus Christ, he becomes overwhelmed with the reality of who he is. So he says, who, he can't speak of Christ without saying, oh, by the way, he gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us. That's that word rescue we talked about so much in the first chapter. That he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, uh, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What a powerful beginning Um, ...to the letter of Galatians, which is all about grace. You're not saved by your works. You're not saved by things you can do. You can't earn your way into heaven. Even after you're saved, you can't earn your way into God's favor. God's favor was bought at the cross. And it's paid for at the cross, and the cross is all of it. So by the time we get to the the, uh, end of the book, what we call the last two chapters... ...the Apostle Paul has spoken of this grace that saves us, this grace that sanctifies us... And he says it was for freedom that Christ set you free, verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, stand fast in this freedom. And then he gives you this quick review, and I think I put it in your notes for you. He says, if I, if, he's saying if you embrace grace, if you embrace the grace of what it means to be saved by Jesus alone, you don't think you had any part in it, and you don't think you could save yourself, or you don't think you could earn your way into heaven after you got saved. If you get that... And it's all about Jesus and all about him and his work on the cross. If you embrace grace and you let grace embrace you. Chapter 5, verse 13 says, Then you will by love. You will serve other people. It'll be it'll be clear that you're serving other people. Then he says, 516, you will strive daily to walk in the spirit, not in your flesh. If you get grace, you're gonna walk in the spirit. If you get grace, chapter 6, verse 1, we studied this a couple weeks ago, right at the end of the year. If you get grace, you will seek to restore fallen sinners. You won't let people just fall away. You'll seek to restore them if you get grace. Chapter 6, verse 2, if you, if you really get grace, if, if the whole concept that Paul's taught on for that whole letter, grace, saved by grace, sanctified, made right with God by grace, and then living by grace. You're actually going to live your life out by grace, not by the law. If you get that, chapter 6, verse 2 says you're going to bear the burdens of other people. Um, You're not going to let people carry burdens they can't carry. You're going to see a person burdened and go, hey, I got to help you with that. I cannot pass that by. And then chapter 6, verse 4 through 7, we looked at last week, says if, if that's true also, if you're If you're covered by grace and and living in grace... ...you're going to sow spiritual seeds, eternal seeds. You're not going to sow to the flesh, you're going to sow to the spirit... ...and you're going to reap with that joy and hope and peace and eternal fruit. And then we get to my favorite part of the entire book and my life verse... ...chapter 6, verse 11 through 14. And Paul says, if, if you're saved by grace, if you embrace grace... If you're a true Christ follower, then you will boast and exalt only in the cross of Christ. And you will live crucified and dead to yourself, dead to your sins. And you will live raised to new life in Christ. That's what it's going to look like. When you let grace get a hold of you, when you understand grace, not as a verb or a noun, not as a a thing that happened 2,000 years ago, but a thing that's happening to you right now, grace... Is happening to you right now because of the cross that happened those thousands of years ago. Grace is happening to you right now, and when you begin to understand that apart from God's grace you have nothing, nothing, then you will let these concepts overwhelm you. Look at chapter, Galatians chapter six, now verse eleven. Paul says, "See what large letter I am writing, letters I am writing to you with my own hand." <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it's not, it doesn't mean it's a long letter. The book of Galatians is about a third the length of, of Romans and Corinthians, the longer letters Paul wrote. He's actually speaking of the, the size of the lettering he's writing. We believe Paul had an eyesight issue. There's two or three passages in the scriptures that give us indication of that. At one point he's being beaten and a high priest says something to him and he speaks back to the high priest sort of curtly and, and the people go, don't you know that's the high priest? And most people believe he didn't because he couldn't see that far. He couldn't see who he was, and, and uh, the Apostle Paul, we believe, had some infirmities in his eyes, and so uh, most of the time he had a writer, uh, a secretary, that wrote the letters as he dictated them to him, but we believe this one he penned himself, and uh, with great passion, that um, he's defending himself in the first part of the letter, and at the end of the letter, he's, he's clarifying the gospel so clear, and uh, you can just imagine that pen making big, bold letters in places. and. And I'm one of those people that when I write uh, a note to myself or even in my typing, when I type something and my son probably drives him crazy when he does these handouts for you here or these uh, slides, because in my own notes, I put things in big letters and bold when it's, when it, when the energy's in it to me that way. And so, so I can see Paul putting, you can see, he's saying, you see how big my lettering is as I write these things to you. And I guarantee you, when you get down a couple of verses, he's writing it. He's taken up a whole piece of parchment with just that one verse, but he says, See what large letters I'm writing to you in my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh, the Judaizers that we've talked about so many times, they try to compel you to be circumcised, simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Verse 14 my life verse, but may it never be, that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, who through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, for neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation, and those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon Israel of God. Now I want you just to look at the text. with I'm going to take a few minutes and kind of walk you through the text like we've done all the way through Galatians. So you have really some, if you've been following along the whole time, you really have a whole collection of Galatians outlines. And the first verse, the verse 12 and 13, Paul's talking about the wrong boasting that can happen in your flesh. And he's talking about these Judaizers, these false teachers that have come in and began to teach falsely that you have to you, you, may, you may be saved by the cross, but you have to live by the law. The Apostle Paul says, that is just not true. You don't live by law. Law only kills. You live by grace. And so Paul is saying, those people that have come in, they're trying to score points with each other for getting you to be like them. They're actually trying to look good by having you look like them. Some of you may remember, uh, maybe you've been to churches like this, and they're still out there. They, they drive us a little nuts, but our culture has changed enough now that they're, they're kind of minimal, but, you know, we don't all have to dress alike here today. You know, Robert Davison, I was noticing this morning when we were praying, he's got this great suit on with a, a great-looking tie. And, and Larry last week had on a great-looking suit and tie. Um, but some of us, I mean, you can just come here in blue jeans. You're fine. You can wear shorts, you know, to our shorts and sandals. You're fine. Um, we don't have to all look the same. We don't have a standard that we've created that says this dress code is Christian and this dress code is not. Now, there are things in dress codes that we would, might address if you came in and, and you know, weren't dressed in a way that we felt like was appropriate. You know, we might ask you to, to change that if it was somehow uh, distracting. But in reality, we don't create this code. What the Judaizers were doing was saying, we want everybody to be the same, to look and act the same. There are churches, that, for years there have been churches, that you know when you start going to them, they're discipling you. And part of their discipline is to teach you how to dress. Teach you what kind of music to listen to. Teach you what kind of songs you should be listening to on the radio. And here are the only approved radio stations of our church and that kind of deal. And they, they put out this whole list. That's, that's legalism. At the end of the day, it's saying we, want, we feel good when you look like us, when you dress like us, when you keep your hair like us, and when you, when you teach your children like we teach our children. And when you say the kind of things you're supposed to say like we say. We feel good about ourselves. That's what the Judaizers were doing. They were boasting in their ability to get other people to imitate them. And Paul says, that's just the wrong. It's in their flesh. They're doing it in their flesh. The two results in he lists of that is that they will, if they do that, they, they're not persecuted by people uh, by, by the people who um, are persecuting Paul. In other words, they don't get persecuted by other legalistic people. So they're not looked down on. And then they're not uh, being. And and by the way, the people that were persecuting Paul were misled and misinformed. They were very dangerous theologians. They were bad in their theology, and yet they were persecuting the Apostle Paul. It reminds me some of, uh, and some of you know this, we're we're a Willow Creek Association church. It just means we send a little money every year to Willow Creek Association, and they send us a ton of leadership and training CDs and... And uh, they give us discounts to their conferences, if any of us could ever get free to go to those. But we get, we get their conferences by video and by tapes a lot. And and uh, I've been to their conferences over the years. It's a, it's a phenomenal ministry. Bill Hobbles built it in uh, Barrington, Illinois. Through, through um, He left a youth group that was growing like crazy. And God called him to start a church, and he couldn't figure out how. And uh, so eventually they started in a movie theater. They would go in it like 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning when the theater was closing down, and they said, we'll come in and clean, and we'll fix up the, the, the room you're letting us rent. And, uh, and the guy with the movie theater said, he was told that nobody would ever accept that offer. You know, there's not going to be a movie theater to let a church meet in there. And Bill Hybels is very wise. He's, he's pretty much a good businessman. So uh, he sat outside a guy's office that would not even see him forever, sat on the couch and waited for him to come out of his office to go home. And, uh, and when the guy came out, he had one line with him. He said, um, I think I have a way for your movie theater to make revenue when you're not using it. That stopped that guy right in his track. He's like, well, come in and talk to me about that. They sat down, and he said, look, after you're done, we just want to borrow it for Sunday morning when you're not using it. We'll clean it up Saturday night ourselves, and, and Sunday morning, we just want to borrow the theater. And they started a little church that's now a giant... Uh, facility in Barrington, Illinois. I think they run about 16 to 20,000 people on a Sunday. Um, And Bill's concept was completely new back in the day, back in the 80's. uh, Completely new to church life. He said, you know what, I don't want to do a Sunday morning service that's for Christians. I want to do a Sunday morning service for non-Christians. I want to do Wednesday night for Christians and Sunday morning for non-Christians. And, and he called it, it eventually got the title, Seeker Service. I want to have a service that seeks the lost. And people that are seeking God can come to this service. And the energy of this service is going to be about lost people, not about saved people. So you know what he quit doing on Sunday mornings? Stuff that saved people like. <laughs> you know what he started doing? Stuff that lost people like. He started having services on Sunday morning where they would take a contemporary rock song uh, and, and, and sing it. It, it had... Uh, contemporary sounds to it, and they could put a band put their band together to sing songs off the radio and people would say, "Hey, if you come to my church, you know we 're not like every church. If you come to my church first of all we 're in a theater, <laughs> and uh, so it 's real comfortable when you sit and uh, But then, if you come to my church, um, we're, some of the songs we sing you 'll know Oh, i don 't know any songs from church i 've never been to church oh you 'll know some of ours, you know because we just sing some of the contemporary songs, love songs and, so, and they would find songs in our culture that fit the message that was being preached on salvation. And they would weave the two together, and then they would do skits and drama. And people used to say about Bill Hobbles and his church, um, you know, they're just going to hell in a handbasket. They are not even going to lead people to Christ. They're all about being attraction, and they're all about being famous, but they're not preaching the gospel. And uh, so when, when I first started going to their conference, I had heard all this criticism I thought, well, I'll just test the waters out on that. I'll go through and look at a bunch of their CDs and sermons. You can get all their sermons online. They have tons of sermons online. And uh, I said, when you hear him preach the gospel, it's crystal clear. He preaches saved alone, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Every time. And that the only means of your salvation is Jesus Christ and the cross. They just do it 50 times more creative than most churches. And churches started insulting them for doing that. And, and trying to hurt their feelings. But you know what they did? They just stayed the course. And they took all the heat, and a lot of people said, you know what, you can't even be in our denomination, we don't want you any part of us, you're just out there crazy, you know. I used to remember when I first came here in 2000, and, uh, 2000, somewhere about 2001, a bunch of people put a bunch of stuff out on the internet about, about Willow Creek, his church, that said they've removed all their crosses from their church, and they want nothing to do with the cross. <clears throat> and I thought, Really? That's not the Bill Hobbles that I went to the conference with two years ago and and stood in the lobby and talked to. That's not the Bill Hobbles that I've watched tons of his messages and listened to his sermons and his books and watched him. That's not him. Something's wrong with the storyline. And what had happened is they have a stage. It's actually like a drama stage. And they change their backgrounds a lot. And sometimes their background has a cross in it. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's just a setting of a city or whatever the drama for the day might be. It's that setting. And somebody said, Well, one week I was there, there was a cross, and one week there wasn't. So they just don't love the cross anymore. See how the criticism goes nuts? It's dangerous. And the Apostle Paul's saying of these Judaizers, he's saying, Look, they've got their own little thing happening, and they're boasting in themselves, and then they're persecuting people that are preaching grace. Don't do that. Don't get caught up in that stuff. It's very dangerous to get caught up in that stuff. The Judaizers are trying to score points and then they're, they're misinformed and they're dangerous in their armchair theology. I told you about the guy that <laughs> preached that if you, if you change your pulpit from a wooden pulpit to a plexiglass pulpit um, that you've denied the Word of God. This means we've denied the Word of God. Do you think we've denied the Word of God over this? This has nothing to do with the Word of God. This is just what I put my book on to see it. That's all it is. And it's lighter and easier to move. And it's, it gives more visibility than the big wooden one that we have in the back. That's why it's here. It's not complicated. And it has nothing to do. But people get critical. And Paul's saying, for some, for some people, they, they are misled and misinformed in their theology. And then they begin to persecute people that are otherwise set up. And so Paul says, the other problem is that they are boasting about you doing what they say. But they aren't doing They're boasting about you doing what they say you should do. But in reality, they're hypocrites. They don't actually do it themselves. He says the Judaizers really don't live to the full letter of the law ever. Nobody does because nobody can. The whole point of the law, all through Galatians and all through Romans, all through the Old Testament. The whole point of the law is that we cannot meet the standard of God. And so these hypocrites are saying, look, we've got this... Little group of family, this new family at our church, they're, they're dressed just right. They sound just right. They look just right. They're perfect. No, they're not. They're sinners. And they need the same grace to help them walk as anybody else. And so Paul says the two results of this wrong boasting is that there's no persecution from other people that have this same bad theology. And then there's this, this wrong boasting that's happening. There's pride and there's hypocrisy. And then he talks about the right boasting. And he says there's only one thing you can truly boast in as a believer. he actually says it this way. It's very strong grammatically. God forbid. God, he's calling on almighty God. And he's saying, I want you, God, because I'm so understanding of what this all means. I want you to forbid me from ever boasting in anything but the cross of Christ. Now this, this, uh, command in verse, uh, six, chapter 6, verse 14 is a command. And it says we should never boast in anything except the cross. And the word boast means to rejoice, to exalt, to celebrate, to celebrate the cross. It's really a crazy statement if you think it out theologically. Uh, if you just think it out pragmatically, really, it's crazy. I glory in the bloody crucified death. Of Jesus Christ, my Savior, I glory in that cross. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying, and he's saying um, it, it'd be like saying, well, I, I glory in somebody's execution. I'm excited. I celebrate that execution." It's not just anybody that was executed, by the way. It was the Holy Son of God, and Paul says that should be our glory as Christians. It's it's paradoxical. It doesn't even make sense when you put it in in, in clear. It's just strange to say um, I would boast in the execution of the Son of God. He died a horrible death devised by the Romans. If you were, if you had been at his crucifixion and death, if you've watched the Passion of Christ, it's pretty close. Um, a little less than what it could would have been, but it's close. And if you would have been there physically watching this holy man, this one who'd never done anything wrong to any. Even Pilate says, I find no fault in him. If you'd have watched him be beaten and persecuted and drug up that hill and nailed to that cross and died, it would have made you sick to your stomach. You wouldn't have eaten for days. <coughs> you probably would have thrown up on the side of that hill multiple times. You would have wept bitterly for this holy one who died. And Paul says, that's what we glory in. Doesn't make sense, really. Doesn't make sense unless you put it all together. This bloody, horrible, disgraceful death of the Holy One. We're to, to boast in it. There's two things that happen at the cross that Paul says and as he's concluding his Galatian letter that he wants you to get your head around. Number one, the world is crucified to you. This is a statement you need to get uh, time to meditate on. The world is crucified to you. <coughs> The world's dangerous counsel and influence, and it's filled with it. The world is filled with all kinds of wrong teaching and wrong information and wrong direction. The world is pointing you in the wrong direction. And the Apostle Paul is saying, when Jesus died on the cross, and you are to boast in that death, when he died on the cross, you had the world crucified to you. You have now overcome the influence of the world in your life. It does not have to influence you anymore. You're not pulled and pushed by the world's influence if the cross means everything to you. And then secondly, he says, you were crucified to the world, which means your own flesh, not the outside influence. That's the outside influence. But your own flesh, the inside influence now of your flesh that pulls you toward ungodly things. See, the world is constantly pushing you And pulling at you to do ungodly things. But so is your flesh. Your flesh is constantly drawing you into ungodly wrong things. It's the battle that we face all the time. It's the battle Paul talked about in Galatians chapter 5 with the spirit versus the flesh. We're to yield ourselves to the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's what the apostle Paul says. And he says the cross settled all that as an issue for you if you exalt the cross. The cross settles it for you. I am crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to me. I can overcome my own flesh, which pulls me toward ungodliness. And then in verse 15 and 16, he gives us what I call the rule of the cross. It's really good. A lot of meditation time on here. If you just spend some time in this passage, it would really help your spiritual life deepen. The rule of the cross in verse 15 says, There's no division, for neither is there circumcision nor Uh, Neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision. Those are the goofy little laws that the Judaizers want them to obey. It's the dress code, the music, the, the stuff we say makes us look or act Christian. Paul says, that's nothing. There's nothing that matters. When it comes to the cross, nothing matters except that you fall down before the cross, wrap your head around what's really happening at the cross. It's your sin on the cross. And when you allow that to happen, now, now you have an understanding that the world has been crucified to me and I've been crucified to the world. And Apostle Paul says, and nothing else really matters. Nothing else matters. It doesn't matter how you dress. doesn't matter if you have tattoos or earrings. doesn't matter if you like this kind of music or that kind of music or go to these kind of places or don't go to these kind of places. Because it's the cross It's going to change all of that. The Apostle Paul says the cross means there's no subsets or factions. There's no division of people. There's no, you're a little closer to God than I am. You know what, when we both stand at the cross, Billy Graham and I are equal at the cross. You understand that? Billy Graham and I are exactly equal at the cross. You and Billy Graham, at the foot of the cross, you're equal. You're sinners that need that Savior to cover your sins. We're equal. There's no division. When you get to the foot of the cross, there's no division. I tell people all the time when they're in my office and we're counseling through stuff and they're talking about all this you know, horrible stuff that's happened in their life or that they're even doing. I say, we're the same. We're the same. I wrestle with the same. Our sins cost the same Savior, the same blood. We're exactly the same. You know, I get to come to work at a church and you don't, but, but I'm, we're the same. That's what Paul's saying. There is no division. That's, th- that's what the cross does. It just equalizes everything. The cross, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. A lot of people say, ground is level at the foot of the cross. It means we all stand the same. And then he says the cross means that you're a new creation. You're a new creation. The Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, um, the old things have passed away and all things have become new. It's what Christ said at the cross. Uh, It's what Christ says in in, uh, Revelation. He's going to make all things new. The cross is where you were made new. See, he didn't come to fix you. The cross doesn't just fix you up and patch up and make you a little better till he returns. The cross literally renews us as people. It takes us who were sinners dead in our trespass and sin, Ephesians 2. We were dead in our sins and it makes us alive. That's not fixed, that's new. It's new. We are a new creation. So we have to die to ourselves and live as crucified. The rule of the cross is... If I'm standing at the foot of the cross and I really understand the cross, I just say, you know what, I'm done. I don't want to live anymore. I don't deserve to live anymore. I want you to live through me. I want to die to myself and live as crucified. Remember Galatians chapter 2, verse 20? Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. He stands at the foot of the cross and he looks up at the bloody figure of Christ and he says, I am crucified with you. I accept what you do for me. Nevertheless, I live. I'm crucified dead. Nevertheless, I live. But not I. Christ lives in me. I'm dead. I'm dead. That's what it means to stand at the foot of the cross. And then he says in in Galatians 6, he says, Those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy will be upon them. Peace and mercy. We'll have peace and mercy in this life. You think about people you know that are in love with the cross. They fall in love with the cross of Christ. And they exalt the cross. They live at the cross. They talk about the cross. They love their Savior for what He did for them. You think about those people? They're great peace. And they're great models of mercy in your life. They're a great peace. And they're a great model of mercy. Now those are the rules of the cross. There's two things I want to just clarify as we close. And, and I'm going to take a little longer to close and. You might want me to, but I've just got to tell you these things. I want you to know that everything you have is because of the cross. It's why Paul says it's the only reason to boast. If you did great in, in a uh, something you did at work, and you did this great accomplishment, and you're going to get some sort of letter of commendation, it's not because of you. It's because of the cross. You know, I remember when Dallas was playing football at Municipal, and they won a hundred and bazillion games. Yeah, how many hundred and? 112 games in a row, 112 games from the time he was a little, you know, peanut or whatever they call that, peanut B or whatever you were, all the way up, 112 games. It wasn't Dallas that won those games, it wasn't the coaches, his dad, Mark was coaching, it wasn't, it wasn't them. It was because of the cross that they could win all those games. You say, well, they had to have talent and stuff. No. You know where that comes from? The cross, we have nothing without the cross. You have nothing without the cross. Everything you have, the Bible you have in your lap, the friend you have sitting next to you, the relationships you have, the food you had this morning, or you want to have at lunch Dave. you didn't have any this morning, the things that you love, the things that you love, the food you love, it's because of the cross. It's because of the cross. I'm going to make that crystal clear to you. So we need to exalt the cross and glory only in the cross. I want to say to you, we need to be a church, a body of believers that every time we get the chance, we never miss the chance to exalt Christ and His cross. Look for chances, listen for them and ask God for those chances. Some people say, well, you know, when you teach grace like this and you teach so much grace, 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 that's all you ever teach. There's just no accountability. <coughs> Excuse me. People that live in grace have no accountability. It's not true because grace is the cross and the cross is accountability. So I'm going to make that crystal clear as we close. And I don't think I finished the notes. I don't think I put some of this. You can flip that note paper over and write some things on the back if you need to. But there's one thing worth investing your whole life in. There's only one thing worth giving your whole life to. Now, you, you, you have careers and you have responsibilities and you have a family that you need to be invested in. Highly recommend you do as much as you possibly can to make that a successful deal. Good career person, good good family life. Um, Build up your family as strong and, and care for those things. But there's one thing worth selling yourself fully to and never going back on, and that is the cross of Christ. Give your whole life to the cross. Boast in and brag on the cross. Three reasons why that's important. Let me just finish it out with you. There's three reasons. and These come from John Piper, and they're really good. Number one, it's because we're all sinners. Everybody in this room is a sinner. Paul says he's the chief of all sinners, and the only argument I have with that is I feel like I'm the chief of his sinning ability. So we are sinners, and the only thing sinners deserve by God's law is damnation. It's all we deserve. I've said it many times. Your pastor should have woke up in hell this morning. Just should have. I deserve by law to wake up in hell because I'm a sinner and I'm a bad sinner. We all deserve sin, no matter how much good you do from here on out. Um, you don't deserve anything but uh, hell. And the only thing that stops that from happening is the cross. We are creatures. We're not the creator. You don't get to make the rules. God made you. You didn't make Him. You don't, we don't make up God. And this is very important. God is not beholding to you for anything. Do you get that? Well, I listen to people sometimes that feel like God's cheated them somehow. God's not beholding to you for anything. He doesn't owe you anything, and you don't deserve anything from Him. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, Job says. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Romans 11, (coughs) verse 29. Listen to this. Who has given a gift to God that He should be repaid? Any of you give a really good gift to God recently? And you go, hey... God, now you owe me. Here's what I did for you, now you owe me. Who has given a gift to God that he should be repaid? Who has been his counselor that he should counsel back? You ever give God real good advice, so now he owes you advice? This doesn't happen. Who has ever counseled God? And for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever Amen. The Apostle Paul tells the Romans, you didn't counsel him, you didn't gift him. He doesn't owe you anything, and he never will. You'll never be good enough for God to owe you anything. It's all the gift of the cross. Second reason that we need to exalt the cross is because when Christ did die on the cross for you, undeserving as we were, he purchased for us, for us sinners, he purchased everything that we enjoy that's not part of the curse. All that you deserve is condemnation. So every time your heart beats one more beat, it's a gift from the cross. When your heart just beats one more time, it's a gift from the cross. When you live one more day in the sunshine or the rain or the cold or the hot, which in Mobiles any part of any day, when you live one more day, it's a gift from the cross. The gift from the cross is every breath you breathe, everything you have is a gift from the cross. They were bought as gifts to you and given to you by Jesus on the cross. And then the cross is the most important event of your life. It's the most important event of your life. Nothing more important has ever happened to you. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you're... a. Been to the moon and back in a spaceship. That's awesome. Cool. Just nothing more important has ever happened to you than the cross of Christ. Nothing ever can top that. We have to be cross-saturated people. You have to uh, be people who says the cross is everything and, and I will choose to put the cross in front of everything else in my life. The cross is at the center of Christ's teaching. The whole New Testament proclaims the blood of Christ, and His shed blood for our sin is what rescues us and what makes us His own. The heartbeat of the Christian faith is the cross. And I want to say to you, I almost brought them in, and I I just didn't bring them, but the cross as we uh, picture it maybe here, This is a beautiful cross. It was out in our shed when I first came here and we remodeled this. This used to all be paneling, and there was a a gold cross back here, a little bitty gold one that hung up over the choir. And when we put this, when we whited the walls out here so we could see better on stage and get a little more light up here, we put the sheetrock over the paneling. That wall just looked terribly bad. It was a giant white wall. We're like, what in the world are we going to do on that? And uh, Michelle Brinkman made the drapes for that, and that was a really cool idea. And somebody said, well, there's a big old cross out in the shed really? I went out there and it was just covered in dust and it was, uh, had all kinds of wood laying up against it. And I thought, well, you know, that's going to take a lot of work, you know, to get that looking right. We, we brought it in, laid it in the gym and dusted it off. And it looked just like that It was beautiful scratch, not a scratch on it. And so a bunch of guys came up here one night and, and hung that for our next day service and prayed that it wouldn't fall. It hadn't fallen yet. So it weighs a ton, by the way, it's solid. And, uh, that's not the cross of Christ. That's a beautiful symbol of the cross. I have a, a beautiful cross in my office that my brother and sister-in-law gave me. I think they went to maybe Tennessee, Gatlinburg or somewhere, and they got it. It's a, it's a beautiful little wood cross that's, that's stained real nice. It's got a couple of nails on on it down the middle and across the thing and, and a little wire on it to represent the crown of Jesus. It hangs in my office and it's a good reminder of the cross, but it's not the cross. I have a friend who welded me some big nails together and made a real nice cross. It hangs in my study at my house and hangs on the wall. Painted it bright red to remind me of the blood of Jesus. There's a good reminder. I taught him all about the cross and he said, I want to give you something for, for your birthday to remind you about the cross. I said, that's awesome. That's not the cross of Christ though. He's not on those. And the little crosses that we put on our necklace and, and put on our cars and the little crosses that we have all around us, that's not the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is, is a bloody, horrible thing. And I want Mary just to put the picture up. These are from The Passion. Did a great job when Mel Gibson made this movie. The cross of Christ was a bloody, horrible place. It wasn't a pretty thing. You don't need to think of it as a pretty thing. we talk about surrendering your life to the cross, we're not talking about that cross. We're talking about the cross where the Holy Son of Jesus Christ was tortured and brutally beaten. And the heartbeat of our Christian faith is that cross. Now just listen to this list. The cross is where I find God's uncompromising love. Right there at the foot. If you can't stand at the foot of that cross, vividly put yourself there. You think you could look up and see Jesus bleeding, gasping for breath, and for one second not think He loves you? Because He didn't do any of that. You know what put Him there? Your sins. Your sins did. My sins and your sins put Him on that cross. Otherwise, He could have stayed in heaven could have stayed in heaven. He came down to pay for that. So the cross is where I find an uncompromising love of God, crystal clear, visible love. The cross is where I see the ugliness of my sin. When you live at the foot of the cross, you recognize you're a terrible sinner. I'm a terrible sinner. I'm a horrible sinner. When I look at that, when I watch the passion, which I did this morning before you all got here, when I watch the passion of Christ and just remember what he paid, I'm a terrible person. I'm a terrible person. I'm not a good person. I'm a horrible person. I see the full weight of my sin cast upon him. And I see the consequences of my sin. That's the consequences of my sin. That a holy son of God that had never done anything but heal and love and help people with his hands, had his hands nailed to the cross, had his feet nailed to the cross. All he ever did was love. The consequences of my sin looks like that. I was set free at the cross from all my past. By the way, if you don't like something in your past, go stand at the foot of the cross. It's paid for right there. Doesn't mean some of the consequences might not fall you, doesn't mean you're gonna have to do you might not have to do some work to deal with it. But the cross covers your past, covers it completely. The cross covers all your past sins and all your future sins. The cross is where I learned that I was worthless, that Christ made me worth his own life. All the riches in the world can't buy Jesus Christ. You can't pay for Jesus Christ. All the worlds, if you could buy a universe and hand it to God, say, God, I want to give you this universe to pay for my sins, he'd go, That's nice. Pretty universe. I can make millions, by the way, but pretty universe. Not enough. Not worth enough. Not enough value in that universe for your sins. What it's going to take is the blood of my son Jesus. I'm going to give you that for free. You just have to believe and accept him. I learned at the cross, I have a future. I learned that I matter to God at the cross is where I learned I matter to God I learned that I'm given a real chance for life and we sang it in one of our songs today but I learned the cross is a bloody and ugly and beautiful rescue of sin those words don't seem to fit well in a sentence but they're true it's a bloody ugly beautiful rescue from your sins all your sins were rescued at that cross I learned that at the cross, this is what I deserve. And that at the cross, I don't get what I deserve. Now, I want to ask you today. Have you taken time in your life? Have you taken time, it's a good time to start a new year? Have you taken time to make everything in your life about the one thing that's the greatest event that ever happened to you? Or do you just push the cross to the back? Do you push it to the back and say, eh, it's not important enough? Or today I've got too many other things pressing me. The Apostle Paul says there's nothing else more valuable and nothing else worth even boasting in. "Hey, I got a great new phone, or, "Hey, I' got a great new thing happening for me. I got a new job. Yay. Boast in the cross. God gave me a new job, a new phone. Because of his love on the cross, he gave me this beautiful love gift of whatever it is I have, this family or. It's a new child. God gave me those things because of the cross. Not because you deserve them, do you? We don't deserve good things. We deserve damnation. But God gave me all that I have. Jerry Bridges says, Calvary is the one objective, absolute, irrefutable proof that God loves me. The Apostle Andrew, when he was being crucified, was quoted as saying this. At his own crucifixion, he said, O cross, most welcome and often looked for. With a willing mind, joyfully and desirously, I come to you being a scholar of him who died on you. Because I have always been your lover and have longed to embrace you. I want to ask you today, we we'll just close with this. Will you take a renewed commitment today to embrace the cross, to love the cross and to live 2014 at the cross? Stay at the foot of the cross. You got to study the cross, you got to think about the cross, you got to meditate on the cross. You got to get some symbols and and pictures on your computer and your laptop and your cell phone and your tablet of the cross, and you got to have a lot of things happen to make that happen so you don't lose the cross in 2014. But would you make a commitment today? Paul says, God forbid. God forbid that we would glory in anything except the cross. How about we just make a commitment today that we do that?